If you were with us at the beginning of the service, then you know that we did the scripture reading from John chapter 20. And John chapter 20 is where we want to stay today in God's word. Allow me, for the benefit of those who may not have been here um, earlier on, to read this passage for us in its entirety. Listen, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please pay attention. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. But the story doesn't end there. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They had taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they had put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the receiving of his word today. By this time, it is beyond the point of no return. Beyond the point of no return. In that Jesus has been crucified on the cross of Calvary and has died hanging on the cross. So both the Romans and the Jews who had conspired against him managed to fulfill their purpose. So they thought. They were getting rid of him because he was, at the very least, a thorn in their side. But even more than that, a tremendous threat to their establishment. Why? 
because he had come to establish the kingdom of God afresh and anew. In fact, Jesus is the kingdom of God. If you want to know a definition, a one-word definition of what is the kingdom of God, here it is, plain and simple. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the embodiment of the kingdom of God. But they nailed him to that cross and put him to death under false pretenses, a trumped-up trial, and all of the other phony charges and accusations. You know, it reminds me of what Paul says in Scripture later on in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus died a sinless death on the cross of Calvary. But his enemies thought they had accomplished their purpose. And once he died, things were beyond the point of no return. They were done with him, so they thought. And yet, on the third day after he was crucified. Early in the morning, that third day was actually the first day of the week, and it's still the first day of the week, by the way. Sunday is the first day of the week, you know. Many people think Monday's the first day. That's actually not true. Sunday's the first day of the week. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Now, here's what's happening, just to set the scene for you a little more. Jesus dies on the cross. Joseph of Arimathea, who was a wealthy, private Christian follower, if you will, along with Nicodemus, came to claim the body of Jesus and put it in a brand new tomb there that had never been used before. And so Jesus' body was in the tomb. And then early on the first day of the week, the women, by the way, who had followed Jesus, like Mary Magdalene, that is Mary of Magdala, she, along with all of the other women and all of the other disciples, were absolutely devastated. They were shattered beyond description. Their hearts were torn apart. They felt their lives and their souls had been ripped apart when they saw their Lord and our Savior die on the cross. Why? Because they did not expect ever to see him again. They didn't understand the things that he had said to them before about rising from the dead. By the way, they didn't even understand it, though just a few days earlier, they had been in Bethany where Lazarus, a friend of Jesus and brother of Martha and Mary, had died. Jesus showed up four days after Lazarus died and raised him from the dead to the utter astonishment of not only his disciples, but everybody who witnessed it and everybody else who heard it. Yet they still did not, speaking of his disciples, they still did not get it. They still had not comprehended the significance of what they were up close and personally experiencing as eyewitnesses. So Mary Magdalene is one of them. And here she is, 
going to the tomb early while it was still dark, making her way there. As a matter of fact, one of the other gospel accounts, the Gospel of Mark, tells us that Mary was not alone, that there were other women who went with her, and that they went for the purpose of anointing the body of Jesus with further spices. Why? Because they so loved the Lord Jesus. They loved him, they revered him, they honored him, and they were broken. They were just they were just crushed at what had taken place. And on top of the brokenness was bewilderment. They just did not understand why. Why this happened? And why this, what is going on? So she went to the tomb and saw, when she got there, according to verse 1 of John chapter 20, that somebody had already gotten there before her. <laughs> that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So then she immediately took off running to find Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, according to verse 2, to tell them that someone had taken the Lord away. Now, listen, the significance of it is this, of what she does is this. Again, she was not expecting what had happened. Her mind is in a deep, dark, and difficult place. She's grieving. They all were grieving profoundly. And so she runs to tell Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved because she believed somebody had stolen the body. Somebody had already gone in there and desecrated the tomb and took the body of Jesus away. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. By the way, the other disciple, who refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, was John, the disciple, John, the son of Zebedee who in many ways humbly refers to himself in the third person as the disciple, the other disciple whom Jesus loved. They run to the tomb. John outruns Peter to get to the tomb. Some have suggested that John may have been a little younger than Peter, and so he just was faster than Peter because Peter was older. We don't know for certain, but in any case, he was able to outrun Peter. Remember now, they are running up a hill because Christ had been crucified at the top of that hill called Golgotha, and the tomb was right there close by. So they are running. They're putting some physical exertion into this, in this foot race to the empty tomb. John gets there first, but stops at the entrance. He bent over <clears throat> and looked at it. Peter comes up as well. They get there and they look at what's going on. When Peter arrives, the Bible says, <clears throat> who came along behind him, he just went straight into the tomb. So John stopped and looked. Peter just barged in. You know, is this indicative of Peter's, you know, uh, personality? Any of you Bible readers, you know, the apostle Peter and his personality, his impetuous uh, nature, he just barred, he, he had 
He had no filter, as we know. <laughs> you read the Gospels, Peter had very little filter and got himself into trouble very often with it, but that was his personality. So while John was reserved, having outrun Peter, Peter just barges in to the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, according to verses 6 and 7, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. John had already looked in at the strips of linen lying there, though he did not go in. Finally, after Peter barges in, then John decides to go in. What is the significance of the scene here? Now, let me explain it to you if I could, just for a second. So, uh, according to Palestinian archaeology, what you had here was a tomb that was ground level. Okay, not below the ground, ground level. And what often would happen is they would, they would hew these tombs out and make a doorway, an entrance, that could have been about a foot high, not a foot, but a yard high or so, maybe a little higher. The wealthier people's tombs would often uh, maybe be a little bit larger at that opening and also have a stone that could be rolled on a track to close it and seal it in. People who weren't wealthy, there was just a huge you know, rock or boulder that was placed at the entrance and sealed up against it so that people could not go in and out and so that animals could not get in there and desecrate the tomb. All of this has been opened now. They go in, and what they find are the grave clothes. They find the strips of linen that Jesus' body had been wrapped in. They find the turban that had been tightly wound around his head and even around his face to lock up his mouth. All of that is there. The turban is there. The, the strips are there. Peter sees it and doesn't know what to think. <clears throat> the Bible says that John went in and saw it. And the scripture says in verse 8, he saw and believed. He saw. Well, we know what he saw. He saw the evidence that Jesus was not there and that he believed. Peter saw the same evidence, but Peter had not yet believed. So you have two types of people represented here in Peter and John at this point. John, who sees and believes. Peter, who sees but is agnostic. He doesn't know yet. He just doesn't understand. He doesn't believe yet. He wouldn't believe until he saw the Lord himself. So he just goes away with this, with this cloud enshrouded over his head. I say agnostic. He doesn't know. Hmm. Like a lot of people. Some who see or hear the evidence and believe. Others who see and hear and still go away, I don't know, I don't know. I'm not sure. Hmm. 
Parenthetically, verse 9 says, they still did not understand from Scripture, meaning from the Bible, and Scripture for them is what we would call today the Old Testament portion of the Bible. They themselves were the New Testament. So they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Even though they were well aware of passages of Scripture like Isaiah chapter 53, where in eight centuries before, the prophet Isaiah prophesied of the coming of the Messiah, the death and the resurrection of the Messiah, all there in Isaiah chapter 53. But it still did not connect for them. It still didn't sink in. So the Bible says in verse 10 that the disciples went back home. That is, Peter and John went back home. But not Mary. Not Mary. No, not Mary. Mary would not have walked away that easily or that simply. Not her. <clears throat> Verse 11 says, now Mary stood outside the tomb, and she stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over, because that's what you had to do in order to look into the tomb and to see what was going on in there. She bent over to look into the tomb. Now, <clears throat> pause for just a moment on this. Um, do you know anybody uh, who, when you go to a movie, you go to see a movie, they like to stay behind and watch all the credits of the movie and everything? You know, some people, when the movie is done, they're ready to get up and go, you know? And then you're with somebody, and here they're trying to stay behind. Like, let's get out of here. Get out of here and beat the crowd out of here. Let's go. Well, <clears throat> let me just make a quick confession. I'm one of those people. I don't go to the movies very often, uh, but when I do, I tend to like to stay and just watch all the credits. And the reason I like to stay and watch the credits is because in some movies, they do things after all of that is said and done, and I don't want to miss it. <laughs> I just don't want to miss it. I've been to some movies, you know, where they had something going on after the credits, you know, as if it is a reward for those who chose to stay and watch all of those names <laughs> go through. Hmm. Mary is like that person that uh, she just, she's not leaving that quickly. She's not going that simply, that swiftly. She's staying. She's lingering. Why is she lingering? She's not lingering simply because of her curiosity. She is lingering. Well, how do you, just, how do you say this? She's lingering because, you know what, that's, that's what a woman would do who loves someone so dearly and so deeply, she can't just walk away. The men, they left. One left believing, the other left not knowing, not sure, not decided yet. Mary? Mm -mm. No, she loved Jesus. Not that Peter and John didn't love Jesus. Not that the others didn't love Jesus, but here in John's gospel, he focuses 
specifically on Mary. There had been other women who had been there who went with her initially, who are not mentioned in John's gospel. They're mentioned elsewhere. Whatever happens to them, that's other what Mary stays here after this, after coming back with the men. Because listen, she came first. They saw she ran to tell Peter and John, but then went back with Peter and John and stayed after Peter and John left. Why? Because of the deep tentacles of the love that she had for Jesus. And that's why she is featured here in John's gospel account in this way. She is deeply grieved at what she believes is the loss of her Lord. Mm. You know, <laughs> there's something about, it's, you know, we talk about it in terms of a mother's love, and it is true, but not only a mother's love, there's something about a woman's love. It just, you know what? It is an amazing love that seems never to go away. If you love somebody, you never stop. You don't give up, at least not that easily. Now, this is also true of men. I'm not trying to pit male against female here, but, but we're talking about Mary Magdalene. She had a genuine and authentic, pure love for Jesus. Although, although, listen, at this point, she does not believe. She doesn't believe. Why do you say that, Pastor? Okay, read along with me. We'll be through in just a few moments here, but read along with me. <clears throat> and let's walk through the rest of the story together. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Wait a minute. Okay, so while they were there, the men had gone into the tomb. They didn't see angels when they went in there. And she didn't see anybody pass her crawling into the tomb. They would have had to go past her to crawl into the tomb even after the two men had left. Nobody walked past her. Nobody said, excuse us, but let us get in here and go sit down where Jesus had laid. No, no. She, she looks into the tomb and two men dressed in white, two angels who look like men dressed in white, seated on either end of where Jesus' body had lain. That right there should have told her everything she needed to know. And you would think it does, except that it doesn't. She saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? This right here should have dried up her tears <laughs> because she should have known that these were two angelic beings talking to her and no Jesus present there, lying in that tomb. But she doesn't get it. It doesn't, it doesn't register with her yet. 
How do I know? Here's how I know. Notice her answer. They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. <laughs> see? She's expecting to see a dead Jesus. That's what she came there for. She came back there to do more to his corpse, to his remains, in honor of him. Despite the fact that Joseph and Nicodemus, they had bought 75 pounds of spices and had already anointed and prepared and wrapped the body of Jesus. The women were going back there to do more. Mary was going back there to do more. She was expecting to see a dead Jesus. <laughs> well, the Bible says then, that she turned around because she must have felt the presence of someone standing behind her while she's telling the angels in the tomb, they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where, he, where they put him. And she feels something, you know. She knows there's a presence behind her. So she turns around, according to verse 14, and sees Jesus standing there, and has no clue that it's Jesus. She has no clue. You see what I mean? She doesn't believe yet. She's still looking for a dead Jesus. Not realizing it's Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? The same question the two angels just asked her. And who is it you're looking for? Now, you know something? I love these questions. Because these questions are actually profound and deeper uh, than meets the eye. Why are you crying? See, it's easy for us to understand the significance of these questions now looking on the other side of these events that have taken place and come to fulfillment. It's easy for us to look and see something of the profound nature. Why are you, cr why are you crying? You know what? This is a good question, not only for Mary Magdalene, but it is also a good question for us. Now, yes, you know, there is a time to laugh and there's a time to cry, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And there are times when we all shed tears. But listen, why was she doing the kind of crying she was doing? Why was, why was her cry so deeply grief-stricken? And for us, why are you crying? Why are you crying in light of what you know? We know why she's crying. She, she hasn't gotten it yet. She doesn't know. She doesn't understand. She's seen the evidence. She's already seen enough evidence. How do we know it's already enough evidence before she figured out that Jesus was standing behind her? Because John saw the same evidence and he believed. Okay, so there's already enough evidence if somebody needed to see something in order to believe. If seeing is believing, she saw enough evidence. She still, as of yet, does not believe now. What about you, though? What about us? See, um, we have seen, we have heard. Now, why are, so the question, why are you crying? 
in light of what you know about the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a simple question, if I could. Don't answer aloud, but just ponder and pray about it. Think about this for a moment. Is there any problem in your life that's bigger than a dead Jesus? Is there any problem greater than a dead Jesus? If it's, listen, if your problem isn't greater than a dead Jesus, then, then don't cry like those who have no hope, even if you have to cry, you know. We all have to cry sometime, but it's not as though we have no hope. And it's not as though God isn't able to deal with our problem. Remember what Gabriel said to Mary when he announced that she would give birth to the Savior? For nothing shall be impossible with God. Remember what the Lord asked Abraham in Genesis chapter 18 verse 14 when he came to announce to Abraham that Sarah would have a child in their elderly, elderly years. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? If your problem isn't greater than a dead Jesus, then don't cry like there isn't any hope. There is hope. There is always and ever hope because Jesus is risen from the dead. Now, here she is. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. See, she still doesn't get it. Thinking he was the gardener. <laughs> she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you had put him and I will get him. Mary, Jesus said to her, she turned toward him and screamed out in Aramaic, her native tongue, teacher, teacher, teacher. Mm. Okay, so pause for just a moment, by the way. When I say and when we see that there was already more than enough evidence when she and the others saw the, the strips and the turban lying neatly there in the grave, that's because grave robbers would never have left the place neat. Not only that, who unwraps a body and carries it out naked? No one in their right mind would ever do such a thing. The fact that there was the turban lying there neatly and the strips that wrapped Jesus lying there neatly could only mean that Jesus had risen from the dead. Because if grave robbers were going in there to take his body, they would have took his body out, wrapped with the turban and the strips all around him, not, take his, not undress the body and walk out with it. That makes no sense. So you see what I mean? She had already seen enough evidence, but that somehow or another wasn't enough for her, just like it wasn't enough for Peter. So listen, you have three kinds of people represented here between Mary Magdalene, John, and Peter. On the one hand, you have Peter, who is agnostic. He doesn't know. You have John, who believes. He saw and believed. You have Mary, who did not believe until now. She had to see the risen Lord himself. And she sees him and cries out, Teacher! 
Jesus responds to her, Mary, don't hold on to me. <laughs> don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. What does he mean by this? He doesn't mean that he doesn't want her to embrace him. No. What he's saying is this. Don't hold on to me. Longing for the way things used to be. Everything has changed now. It will not be the same ever again. He is the risen Lord and Savior. She is hugging, she is embracing Jesus' resurrection body. Before he died, she and all of the others would have embraced and touched and interacted with Jesus Sinless though he was, without sin, but Jesus, fully human and fully divine, but yes, fully human. Here, he is fully divine, he is fully human, he is risen. He is in his resurrection body. And let me give you just a significance about the difference of the resurrection body, if I could, because right here in John chapter 20, what is going to happen later on this same day, is Jesus is going to appear to all of the disciples, to the men who are uh, cloistered away in hiding because for fear of the Jews who've been hunting, trying to hunt them down to kill all of them. So they're in hiding. Jesus shows up. He doesn't have to knock. If you read the story in the rest of the chapter, he just walks into the locked place where they are. What does that tell you? That tells you there's something different about him. Different already here at this point, which is why he tells Mary, don't hold on to me, because he is in his resurrection body. He walks into a place that's locked, evidently through the wall or through the locked door, but they didn't unlock it to let him in. They were scared to death. He would do the same thing the next Sunday to come back and see Thomas, he would just walk in. Hmm. It gives us something, by the way, of a picture of what the resurrection body will be like. For those of us who have repented and believed the gospel, who have died with Christ and been risen with him, and who will live with him for eternity because of our faith and trust in him and him alone, when we are raised on that day in the future, our resurrection body will be like his resurrection body. Okay, wait a minute, let me ask you again. Why are you crying? Like there is no hope. Hmm. Do not hold me back, he says to her, for I have not yet ascended to my brother, my father, Instead, instead of holding on to me, go and tell my brothers. Find them and tell them that I am ascending back to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. Don't hold on to Don't hold me back. Listen, you know what? <laughs> so often that's what we want to do. You know, it's, we want to hold Jesus back. We want to hold on to him right where we are. 
when instead what Jesus is telling her, don't hold on to me as if we're holding on to the past, uh, as if to hold on to things as they were. No, go. Go. Go and tell the good news. First of all, to my brothers, to the disciples, to the 11 who are left, go tell them. And tell them that I am ascending back to my father and your father, my God and your God. In other words, what Jesus is also saying to her is, listen, I'm on a tight time schedule here. In just a few days, I must return to the father. And in so doing, I will have completed the work he sent me to do. I'm not finished yet. Don't hold me up. Don't hold back. Just go do what I tell you to do. That's what he's saying to her. And that's also what the risen Lord is saying to every one of us who believes. She has seen her Lord and our Lord. She immediately believes when she sees him. And she embraces him. And that embrace is as, is as genuine and heartfelt and soul-felt as is possible, as is humanly possible. But she must go now. She must go to do what Jesus has told her to do. You know, these words that Jesus says here right at the end of verse 18 remind me of, of the book of Ruth, the story of Ruth, uh, where, where Ruth said to Naomi, your people will be my people and your God, my God. That statement of confession of faith that Ruth gave to Naomi. Verse 18 says Mary Magdalene did what Jesus told her to do. See, this is evidence of real discipleship, of what a true disciple is. It's not complicated because a true disciple will do what the Lord said. <laughs> do what the Lord said, that's all. It's not complicated. It may not be easy, but it's not complicated, nor is it incomprehensible. It's simply a matter of the obedience of faith. She went, and this is what she said to the, to the brothers when she got there. I have seen the Lord. <laughs> I have seen the Lord. Hmm. Yeah, you know what? She was the first. And you know what's so profound and powerful about that when it comes to the kingdom of God and the gospel? Is that she's the first to bear testimony to seeing the risen Lord Jesus. Not the men, the women. And that's, that's, that's indicative of the counterintuitive nature of the gospel itself. For you see, in the first century, if you've been in a court of law, well, in Judaism, a woman's testimony would not be accepted as legitimate in a court of law. Jesus flips the whole thing on its head and makes a woman the first witness, thus indicating that the kingdom of God values not only male, but values male and female. Why? Because it is built on creation, Genesis chapter 1, that God made us male and female. And not only that, that female is just as valuable and honored in the sight of God as male. Why? Because both are made in the image of God. So there's no problem 
for her to be the first one, for Jesus to tell her to go and tell my brothers <laughs> who are in hiding that I'm going back to my father and I've got an appointment with my father. Let me see them first before I go. And we remember that about uh, 40 or so days, Jesus appeared to his followers before he ascended back into heaven. Now, I'm done. But listen, my friend, the Lord is not done. The Lord is not done with you. He's not done with us. He's not finished. His work is not finished. Even though he has risen back to the Father and is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, he is soon to return to judge the living and the dead. The time is short. So here's the question. If you are grieving and crying without hope, let me give you the good news. You don't have to continue crying without hope. You don't have to continue living without hope. You don't have to continue living with the grieving as though there is no hope. There is hope. And there is hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, from the dead. If God raised Jesus from the dead, so shall he raise you if you believe and trust him. But only trust him. Him who died on the cross for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of the world. All who will repent and believe this good news shall be saved. Let me tell you this also. There is no one who has ever called upon the name of the Lord who did not receive an answer. So if you are here and you have never called upon the name of the Lord to save your soul, You've never repented and believed the gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he is alive forevermore. And that is why we are gathered here to worship him on this day and to celebrate that he is our risen Lord and Savior. If you have never trusted and believed him, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow is not promised. All you have is right now. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before your holy and divine presence to thank you for the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, your Son, seated in majesty at, the right hand, at your right hand on high. Oh God, we praise you and you, we thank you for sending Jesus into the world to be our Savior. For he is the only one qualified to take away our sins by virtue of his death on the cross of Calvary and his victorious resurrection from the dead. Oh God, we praise and we thank you today. We pray right now for anyone under the sound of my voice, whether here in person or or online, O oh God, who has never repented and believed the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, that right now, right where they are, O oh God, that they will look up to you from the depths of their hearts and souls and call upon your name, cry out from within, and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the one and only Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe 
that God raised you from the dead on the third day and that you are alive. Oh Lord Jesus, I want to be rightly related to God and you are the way, the truth, and the life. Oh Lord, change my standing before God because of your precious blood that you shed on Calvary's cross. I repent and believe now. In the mighty name of Jesus. And oh Father, for those of us who are believers already, we thank you for your grace in our lives. And oh Father, we come to you through Jesus Christ and his precious blood that he shed for us. And we thank you for so great a salvation. We thank you for so great a Savior. And we celebrate Jesus today. Your one and only Son, for he is fully God and fully human. And we worship him as we worship you, O God. Restore our souls. Restore our hearts, O God. Restore our minds, O God. For those of us who are believers, refresh and restore us, as David the psalmist says in Psalm 23. He restores my soul. May our souls be restored today as a result of worship today. And may you be glorified, O God, in us. And may we, O God, live out the cross and the resurrection in our lives every day going forward. Through Jesus Christ our Lord and in his mighty name we pray. Amen. Let the church say amen.